You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, you ready for the word? All right, let's get into it. Well, what a year, right? What a year. Sickness, poverty, injustice, violence, people struggling to make ends meet, discouragement, despair, hopelessness, governments making life-altering decisions that will have an impact on how we live out our everyday, walking through uncharted waters. Now, you might be surprised to, to hear that I'm talking about 2,025 years ago, not 2020. Because as we think about the events of 5 BC, there are many similarities to what you and I have faced this year. And I want us to understand that the same God who was over the events over 2,000 years ago is the same God who's over the events of today. That he is very much still on the throne. And as we look at the events of that time, we will see that our God is a great ruler. He's a great counselor. He's a great example. And he's also a great savior. And as we look at that text in Luke chapter 2 today, I pray that we'll find words of encouragement this Christmas season just as they were so long ago. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, let me read that for us and then I'll pray. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Canarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger." because there was no place for them in the end. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time together this afternoon. Lord, we thank you that um, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Lord, you were very much over the events which we're going to read about today. And Lord, we believe that you're very much over the events that we've been going through. Lord, we would admit that sometimes that's hard to see. Sometimes we can become discouraged. Sometimes we can wonder, Lord, if you really are still on the throne. But God, we confess today that you are. And we believe, Lord, that you are doing a great thing in our day on this Christmas Eve 2020. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that Lord, you would encourage our hearts for those of us who are your children and Lord, for those who don't know you, maybe just know about you, God, I pray that this word would also be a great encouragement to them. That, Lord, they would know that they might have life 
and have it abundantly because of the events which we're talking about today. Lord, we love you. We ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us as this spirit, Lord, as your, as your word goes forth. In your name we pray. Amen. So Luke 2, 1 through 7, we're going to look at four different uh, aspects of the events of that time. The first thing that we see are disruptive politics. Disruptive politics. Now, what I mean by that are politics that literally change your everyday. Anyone can relate to that, right? Decisions that the government has made change what you normally would do. Of course, we've known about governments being over us for years. That's always the way it's been. But for the most part, their decisions don't have quite the ramifications that they've had in 2020, right? And, and yet, as we look back, the circumstances weren't, weren't much different in these days. And that's what we see in verse 1. First of all, it says, in those days. These things that we read about today are historical facts. Um, Luke, who was an historian himself, he he looked into how these things came about, and he wants us to know that this is not a once-upon-a-time story. This is, a, this is how it actually happened. And so, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Again, this was around 5 BC. This is at the height of the Roman Empire. They basically rule the known world. World, They have 23 provinces with 28 military legions, about 150,000 soldiers maintaining peace over this empire. There's not a whole lot of threats coming at this point in the empire. Things are good. So who was Caesar Augustus? Well, he was born in 63 BC. He was the, the son of Julius Caesar's nephew, and his name was Octavian. And in 44 BC, he joined Mark Antony to go after the guys who had assassinated Julius Caesar. And together, they defeated Brutus and Cassius in 42 BC. Eleven years later, he became the sole leader after he defeated Cleopatra and Antony. So by this time, 31 BC, he is the sole leader of the greatest empire maybe the world has ever known. And four years later, the Roman Senate decides that his name will no longer be Octavian, his name will be Augustus, which means majestic or holy. He would reign until 14 AD when he died. So a powerful, powerful man. So powerful that there was a lot of great things said about him. There's inscriptions uh, where, where, where we still have today the, in, uh, in the British Museum these things that are, were said about him. These, uh, I don't know if these were, came straight from the press secretary or what, but listen to what they had to say. Dated at 9 B.C., from Prian, there was this that says that Augustus was a god whose birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. Now, if you're a Christian and you've been in the church for very long, you're like, good news for the world. I kind of know about that, right? But they, that's what they were saying about this emperor. Another inscription said this, Augustus is the father of his divine homeland, Rome. 
inherited from his father Zeus. Kids, Zeus was a Greek god, right? And a savior of the common folk. His foresight not only fulfilled the entreaties of all people, but surpassed them, making peace for land and sea, while cities bloom with order, harmony, and good seasons. The productivity of all things is good and at its prime. These are fond hopes for the future and goodwill during the present time, which fills all men, so that they ought to bear pleasing sacrifices and hymns. That's some kind of press secretary, right? All right? So, so like this, you'll never see a better leader. In fact, he is a God, and you ought to worship him. That's what was thought of Caesar Augustus. So he's reigning over the Roman Empire. Luke wants us to know that. I think part of the reason Luke wants us to know that is that while the world is looking to this Savior, there's another Savior coming on the scene. Rome may have touted that this, this guy was the Savior, but there's another Savior to be born. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the angel said this about Jesus to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He would not be like Caesar Augustus in his life. He would not come and try to overthrow the Roman Empire. Instead, he would live a lowly life. He would live a life of humility, and in God's plan, he would be the Savior of the world. Now, this Caesar Augustus, is, we're told that he made a decree, and when you're the most powerful man in the world, when you say that something should happen, guess what? It happens. And so they make this decree that everyone in the Roman Empire needs to be registered. The reason being, partly for military, if you're a Roman citizen, then you would have been kind of inscripted into the uh, military. But for the most part, it was for taxes. And if you look at the Gospels, nobody in Israel loved the Roman Empire, right? And they hated taxes, if you read the Scriptures. Maybe... You can relate. Now we find out that this was the first registration when, when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. So this particular census, this particular registration we found is, that is the first one when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. We've already been told in Luke 1 that King is the, or sorry, Herod is the king of Judea. And so now we all know all the political figures of that time and he says it's the first registration because this registration process went on for about 260 years. Every 14 years, they would do this. They would register the people, again, mainly for the purposes of taxes. And so, we find that each one has to go to his hometown. So this time, this, this, these rules that were being made by the government actually really disrupted their lives. You're going to have to leave your hometown, your, your town you're living in, you're going to have to go back to your hometown. There's going to be expenses involved. You're going to have to take care of the stuff 
back in your, your town you're living in and go back to another town. You're going to have to try to find a place to stay while you're there and register, then go back. So it had real consequences. It's like the decisions that are being made in 2020. They've had real consequences. But I want to remind you that just as God was over the events in 2000, 2025 years ago, God is over the events today. Now, it kind of might seem to you that God has taken a sabbatical in 2020. Right, the events, you, you might, you might, you might have like, you know, I don't know what your theology is at, but you're like, if there's a God, I don't know if that he's around right now. But I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our God is the same always. And so as he was over the events in 5 BC, he's been over the events in 2020. In fact, as we, as we see here, the decisions that are being made by Caesar Augustus, the most powerful person in the world, is bringing about prophecy that God made way before there was ever a Roman Empire. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and we need to remember that today as we celebrate Christmas in 2020. The second thing we see are difficult predicaments. What's a predicament? Anyone know? A problem, right? Uh, there's something that needs to be decided here. And, and for Mary and Joseph, they had a difficult predicament. We read in verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, you can read that, and you're like, okay, yeah, they went, they went to Bethlehem. But, like, do we stop and think about all that was involved in them getting to Bethlehem? First of all, you think your last nine months were difficult. Consider their last nine months. The beginning of the year, hey, we're getting married. It's going to be great. We're betrothed, which is like a really serious engagement. It's beyond what our engagement here is. It was as if you were married, but there, there's been no consummation yet. There's been no ceremony, wedding ceremony, but that's still to come. And so Joseph and Mary are anticipating this. They're excited about it. But then an angel comes to Mary and says, guess what? You're going to have a child. And, he's like, and she's like, well, how can this be? Well, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And just as it said of Isaiah in Isaiah 7.14, you're going to have a baby even though you've not known a man. And her response is, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary's whole world's changed. And of course, as a result of that, Joseph's life has all changed. When he hears that Mary's going to have a baby, he responds no differently than any man today would. It's like, she's been unfaithful. I will divorce her quietly was his decision. So another angel now is called in, and he comes to Joseph and says, listen, what Mary says is true. This baby is going to be special. He's going to be the Messiah. And so Joseph hears what the angel says. He believes it, and he takes her to be his wife. Now, Pastor Michael and I were actually talking between services about this. It's really tricky, Right? We're told in Matthew 1 that he, after hearing this, he made her to be his wife. We just read here that it says that she was his betrothed. 
So what's the deal? Well, for the adults here, until the marriage is consummated, it's not quite a marriage yet. But that's the only thing that hasn't happened yet. In all intents and purposes, they are husband and wife coming into Bethlehem. So they've had quite the nine months, right? Now guess what? No other angels going around to everybody in town telling them what's happening. So the gossip, the rumors go around about this unfaithful couple. We heard about Mary's unfaithfulness. Now we've put two and two together. Apparently they are both unfaithful. This went on until Jesus is an adult. When you read in the Gospels, over 30 years later, they're still saying, well, we know that you're, you, you don't come from good stock, if we can just put it that way, right? That, that, your, that your coming into this world was not in the proper way. So that's been their last nine months. So now this, they get this decree that they need to go to Bethlehem. So they hopped on a cheap flight and went down. Is that what happened? Kids? No, it was not. There's no planes then, okay? So how did they travel? Maybe you've seen it on TV that Mary was on a donkey as they went down. Probably not. To buy a donkey would cost you anywhere from two months to two years' salary. We know from Joseph and Mary that they didn't have a lot. We know that based on what we just read about whether he's born. And secondly, we know that because when they go to the temple to give an offering, they just give two doves, which is what poor people would do. So they don't have a lot. So now they have to make the journey. Anybody know how far they have to go? 70 miles if you take the shortcut. 70 miles if you take the shortcut. Now we know if you're eight or nine months pregnant, you're not supposed to travel. Let alone walk. But that's what they're going to do. 70 miles if you take the shortcut, that's through Samaria. Most Jews didn't want to do that. They didn't really like the Samaritans, so they would take the long way, which was 90 miles. We're not told which one they took. So anywhere from 70 to 90 miles, they walk. And guess what? It's not like walking to Strathmore right? Walking to Strathmore, it's about as bumpy as the stage, right? It's not, there's, no, there's no hills anymore, right? It was more like walking towards Canmore, right? And, and they had had a 600-foot elevation climb to get to where they need to get to. But they do it. They do it. They walk in obedience to what Caesar Augustus told them to do, but I think it was also because of what they would have understood, from the scriptures. Now, I don't know about you, but your parents of the Messiah, what would you do? You might want to start looking at who this kid might be, right? And where would you go? Genesis to Malachi, right? Talks all about him. And so I think that they know what Micah 5.2 says, that this baby would be born in Bethlehem. And they start putting two and two together. And they're like, huh, just like Caesar Augustus wants us to do, this baby is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so, out of their obedience to the word, they go. In their difficult circumstances, in their difficult predicament, they look to the scriptures and they walk in faithfulness, doing what the government asked them to do and doing what the word foretold 
they should do. Can I just encourage you in 2020? That's a great example for you and I, to look to the Scriptures. How many times have you had to make decisions this year, and you're like, I don't know. What are we supposed to do? There's no roadmap. Like, there's no, like, what do we, right? The Scriptures have it. It may not say anything about COVID-19, but it it tells everything about how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And so we look to the Word. God is not only the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the great counselor. He's given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Lord willing, 2021 will be different than 2020. But even if it's not, the Lord has given us his word to lead us and to guide us. And he's given us a great savior as we're going to learn. Third thing that we see here is deliberate poverty. Do you know anybody who's chosen poverty? You know, my life goal is to get to where I have absolutely nothing and I'm trying to find food every day. Anybody's that their goal? Like that's not, right? Like that's not our goal. We, we, nobody chooses poverty except the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what he chose. You know, you look back on the Old Testament canon, we're told in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to be one who's going to come and he's going to defeat Satan. And then we're told in Genesis 12 that he's going to come from the family of Abraham. And then we're told in Genesis 49 that he's going to come from the family of Judah. And then we're told later in Samuel that he's going to come from the line of David. And so in history, Everybody who was related to David was still a candidate. But he chooses Joseph and Mary. And Joseph and Mary don't have a whole lot of anything. Look what it tells us in verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. While they were where? In Bethlehem. Now, again, this is a little bit of a pop in the whole narrative of what you might see on TV. There wasn't like this rush, 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 like, okay, like, let's hurry, let's get there, and now we have the baby. We, we went to every Hyatt in town, and there was no room, and so this, this is where we're going to have give birth. No, we're told right here, it's like, while they were there. So, in other words, they're there. We're not told if it was a week they'd been in Bethlehem. We're not told if they'd been there for a month, but they're there. And while they're there, it's time for her to have the baby. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. As opposed to might be taught in other churches, firstborn son means what? They have more babies. Joseph and Mary had other children. But of course, this birth was unique and they says that she took the baby, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. This is like strips of cloth that they would take and they would wrap them around the baby. And they do that, why? To make them feel secure, to make them feel warm. See some newborns here. I remember when my first baby came along, Hope, and then Gabriella. We would take the blanket and you just wrap it as tightly around them as you could. And they, both our girls anyways, they love that. And so that's what she's doing. She's doing it to care for baby Jesus. And 
says that they laid them, lays that they, they, that they laid him in a manger. Because, why is, why is this going on? Because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, that's, that's an unfortunate translation, to be honest. There's another word for inn in the Greek that is not used here. It really is a guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room. And so it's speculated, like, how does this all put together? They've, they've been there for a while, so obviously they've been staying somewhere. And if we understand the architecture of the day, the typical home, you would have a second floor, that's where the humans are, and then below, that's where the animals are, right? And the animals can't get up to you, but you can get down to the animals. So that could have been the kind of home they were in, or as legend tells us, there was a home, and attached to that was a cave where the animals were sheltered. That's most likely what, where Jesus was born, in this cave. And Perhaps it was because of the craziness and the busyness of the home, they've slipped off to this location to have the baby. And laid in a manger. uh, Archaeology tells us that these mangers, the stone mangers, were cut out of limestone and were approximately three feet long, 18 inches wide, and two feet deep. Nice little cradle but it's also used as a feeding trough. Now, obviously, they clean it out, and then they lay the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in a feeding trough. I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I'm just blown away. Like, what kind of God is that? That would come in such lowly means when He has all power to do whatever he wants to do, he chooses to come in such humility. Philippians 2 tells us that our God came in humility. What an example. And even in his birth, he came in humility. His entire life, he lived in humble means. And God continued to care for him all through his life. It's the perfect example for you and I. God is a God who not only says, this is what I want you to do, but then he did it himself. He came and he walked in humility. But did he come just to be an example? Was that the only reason he came, just to be a good example of what humility looks like? Well, if you've been around the church at all, you know that that's not the only reason it came. I'm going to ask the ushers just to turn the lights off now, and if you have your candles, you can turn them on. Now, we know in the Roman world at that time, things were good if you were Roman, for sure, but spiritually speaking, we find out that things are not good. It was a dark time. Just a few verses earlier, talking about what John the Baptist would do, we see in Luke 1, 76-79, We see him preparing the way for Jesus. It says, And you, child, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Why? For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet 
into the way of peace. Here we see God's divine provision. This is our fourth point. As Jesus came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, he came at a time of darkness spiritually. People were enslaved in their sin, stuck in empty religion. The people of Israel were under an oppressive government. Life was hard. So, what did the coming of Jesus mean? First, it meant a pathway to forgiveness. We read, He came to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of sins. If you've been coming to our church or watching online, you know in the, in the book of Romans, we have been learning about forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. And in our study, we've learned that there are no good people. Did you hear what I said? No good people. Well, I don't know about that. I'm a pretty good person. That's what we all think. But the Bible says something different. It says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we've all sinned, making us all bad people in God's books. Sadly, some people don't come to church because they think it's for good people. Sometimes the fault is in Christians that they pretend that they're good people. But what it ought to be as we come together should be a celebration of what Jesus came to do so long ago. He came that we might be forgiven. See, churches are full of bad people who have been forgiven by a gracious God. Jesus came in humility. He lived the perfect life. Can you imagine? Not one time did he sin. No lie, no deceit, no, no anger that it was sinful. No, nothing in his life. Never one time did he sin. And at the end of his life, he came and he hung upon a cross. And we're told in Romans that in the shedding of his blood that he freed us from our sins. No longer enslaved to our sin. It was the payment that was needed. And as he hung there, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. The wrath of God that was due for my sin, for your sin. And that in Jesus dying and then three days raising again, he has made a way that you and I could be justified. That anyone who would place their faith in him might have not only their sins forgiven, but no longer be under condemnation. And that as God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He sees Christ's perfect righteousness. He sees you as if you have never sinned. It's incredible. Christ came that we might be forgiven. That's why he came so long ago as a baby. What was his motivation? Verse 78, we see that it was because of his mercy. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Our God, who spoke the world into existence, more powerful, more mighty than you can ever imagine, it says that when he looks at you, he sees you with tender mercy. It's incredible. Our God would love us in such a gracious way. He did not die for us because we deserved it. He died for us because he is merciful. That's his character. His character is to be merciful to you and I. What an awesome God. Not only is he merciful, but when he came, he brought light. It says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. What an awesome picture. 
This picture of Jesus coming was of a sunrise visiting us from on high. Again, it reminds us of Philippians 2 that when Jesus came, he came from heaven. He existed long before coming as a baby. He is God eternal. And that he left his throne in heaven and took the, the lowly form of a baby who was born in a manger. And as he came, he's known as the sunrise. He came as light to this dark world. This world has never been dark since because of Jesus Christ coming. Sure, there is much evil in this world and there's very difficult times, but there is now light because Christ has come. The result of that is hope. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Without Christ, we are without hope. We are enslaved in our sins and under the oppression of Satan. Only judgment and darkness await us. But listen, God did not leave us there. Because Christ has come, we can now have life and have it abundantly. He has shone his light in the darkness. This is a message for us in 2020. So many people are hopeless and in despair and wondering if these things that we're going through were ever going to end. But the Bible tells us that whatever trials that we're going through, they're so temporary compared to eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, by the way, the guy who's writing this, Paul, went through far worse than what you and I are going through right now. He went through, it says he, but he had, he called it momentary affliction. He said it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen are, are eternal. Can I just encourage you, when you're watching the news, don't, remember these things are temporary. Because of what Christ has done, nothing and no one can take your hope away. We will have hope for all of eternity. And not only that, lastly, we will have peace. It says that in Jesus' coming, that we will be to guide our feet into the way of peace. First of all, peace with God. Every one of us, because of our sin, we were enemies of God. But God has made a way that we can be at peace with him through Jesus Christ. Whoever places their faith in him has their sins forgiven. And now they have been adopted into the family of God. And we have peace with him for all of eternity. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have peace with one another. All the things that we would argue about before now are removed because we are now one in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we have peace within because of what Christ has done. Sometimes we're looking for that aha moment. We want some kind of miracle to happen. But the way God works, more times than not, is in the everyday circumstances of life. Just as he did 2,025 years ago, through the everyday circumstances of life. Other than some shepherds and some some wise men who were on the way, nobody knew that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords had been born there. Sure, there was Simeon and Anna at the temple, but there were so few It should have been the, the the whole world should have known, but they didn't, not yet. And so this Christmas, you and I have the honor to continue to tell people about these events. And I want to just encourage you today, 
Just as God was over those events so long ago, I believe he's over the events of today. And he's very much at work. Maybe you're here and you're like, how in the world did I wind up sitting in a gymnasium on Christmas Eve 2020? Somebody would have told you that last Christmas. You're like, I'm never going to any church. But here you find yourself. And I'm wondering, is it because God is doing an amazing work right now? He wants you to know about his love for you. He wants you to know that you can be reconciled to him and that you could have life eternal. If you've never placed your faith in him, can I just plead with you today? Do today. Find his love. Know that he cares for you. Know that he is a great and powerful God. Know that he is a great counselor. Know that he set the ultimate example, but know that, this, that he is a great savior. He can forgive no matter what you've done, he can forgive you. And you can have more reason than ever to celebrate this Christmas. Not just this Christmas, but for all of eternity. If you decide to do that today, would you tell someone? Would you tell maybe someone that if you're just watching online, you don't know a Christian, please tell us. We'd love to talk with you about it. But if you know a Christian, you go tell them. Listen, I, I think I understand what that preacher was talking about. He kind of was long-winded. But is this, is this true? Can I be forgiven? And they would love to tell you about it. And then Christians, we have so much reason to celebrate in 2020. Even in the midst of all this craziness, remember, God is good. He's on the throne, and we have eternity waiting. Amen? Let me pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you have done for us. You're so good. When we think about your might and your power and all that you could have done, it amazes us, Lord, that you came to this earth in the way that you did. Lord, you used the, the, the powerful decisions of a government to just fulfill your plan. You were very much in control. You foretold of it hundreds of years before, and Lord, you were very much in control in those days. Lord, we believe you're in control today. Lord, when we have doubted or grumbled or complained about it, God, we just we ask for forgiveness. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, knowing, Lord, that you, just as you did extraordinary things 2,025 years ago, Lord, you're doing extraordinary things today. And Lord, we're praying, Lord, if there's anyone that does not know forgiveness, does not know you, Lord, today, would you make them a part of your family? Lord, we're so thankful that our hope cannot be shaken by the circumstances in which we find ourselves, but our hope is eternally found in you. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.